Hello, and welcome to Orot Me Mizrach, the remarkable teachings of Rov Cook, produced and recorded by Rabbi Dov Kidron and presented by World Mizrahi. Whether this will be your first exposure to Rav Cook's Torah or not, this series shines a new light on one of the most venerable Torah giants and spiritual leaders of the religious Zionist movement. So, we invite you to join us as we delve into the vast world of Rabbi Abraham Yitzchak Cook. Hello! In 1923, Professor Albert Einstein visited the land of Israel. When Rav Cook heard of this coming, he wrote him a letter in honor of the greatest of the world's sages, Professor Albert Einstein, inviting him to visit, and indeed, Professor Einstein went to visit Rav Kook. In the brief meeting that was between the two giants, the giant of science and the giant of Torah, Rav Kook said that it's a common thing that a scientific revelation that amazes all of humanity is found in the ancient holy books of the people of Israel, especially in the hidden Torah. And the theory of relativity, which is considered a new discovery, was already mentioned by the sages of Israel in a book called Brit Olam, written by one of the ancient Kabbalists, who wrote that time, which is ostensibly uniform, may change for each world and for each soul according to its capacity, to the extent that it's possible that the same period of time will be considered one moment for one soul, and a very long period of time, many years, in another world and for another soul. And this idea is the core of the theory of relativity. Professor Einstein received this with attention and interest and was amazed how the rabbi had such deep understanding of the theory of relativity, something that even many of the greatest scientists do not understand. This anecdote symbolizes Rav Kook's great mastery of the occult. As we know, there is a revealed part of the Torah and a hidden part known as Kabbalah. One of the amazing things about Rav Kook was the wonderful combination of the two parts, as we mentioned before by his student Rav Kharlap, that in every person there are two sides, a revealed side and a hidden side, since every person has a visible body and a hidden soul. But while for most people there is a greater perfection on one of the two sides, for Rav Kook both sides were perfect and corrected and moreover complement each other. One of the foundations of Kabbalah is the idea of the influence of spirit on material. Today, everyone understands that there's such an enormous impact. For example, as Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said at Merkaz Arav Yeshiva in 2015 that our power to develop Jerusalem and to build the land of Israel stems from faith, from learning, from Torah and all the spiritual treasures of our people. Studying Torah enriches and enlarges the spirit and motivates us to act and do great things. He understood that the spiritual power of Torah study influences physical actions and motivates great deeds. However, according to Kabbalah, there are deeper and more comprehensive spiritual influences, since according to Kabbalah, the real and main world is the spiritual world and there is mutual influence between actions, words and thoughts that are done in this world and the spiritual upper worlds. When people do mitzvot and good deeds, then the good forces in the upper worlds become stronger, and so those worlds have a greater power to influence good and blessing into this world. And when, God forbid, people do bad things, then the good forces weaken and bad forces become stronger, and the effect of this is evident in this world. Most tzaddikim, 
Most righteous people and Torah scholars get to influence the upper worlds only indirectly. When they practice mitzvot and study Torah in this world, they thereby strengthen the good forces in general. For example, as it said in the name of Rabbi Israel Misalant, that when a Jew studies Torah in a remote place, he cannot imagine what good effect this study has on the whole world, and it is possible that this study affects another Jew in Paris, because every good deed has a good influence on the upper worlds, which return to influence our world to the better. But the pure, finest tzaddikim get to influence the upper worlds directly because they know how to direct the right intentions according to the Torah of Kabbalah. And Rav Kook would concentrate on this wonderfully, similar to what is told about the great Hasidic masters during the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and he would practice and repeat the hidden intentions of blowing the shofar, as the third president of the state of Israel, Mr. Zalman Shazar, recounted. Once, in the month of Elul, I wanted to meet Rav David Cohen, who ascended in the worlds of secret, and I wanted to draw from him a spirit of purity. They told me that he was in Rav Cook's room and going over the intentions of the chauffeur blowing. I dared to look into the room and remained standing fascinated at the sight. They both stood with their eyes closed. The Rav reads, Rav David Cohen blows, and the voices sound as if they come from another world, not from this world. For a moment, it seemed to me that I heard the sound of the shofar of the redemption, the sound of the mouthpiece of the Mashiach, heralding the gathering of the Jewish nation. I was horrified and shaken to the core. This sight and sounds I will never forget. His close disciple Rav Neria also related that when Rav Kuk would pray at the yeshiva on Rosh Hashanah, he would prolong his prayers and intentions without raising his voice, and without external excitement, he would stand and pray with the same noble silence and inner peace that always accompany him even now, but his face is more concentrated and his gaze is deeper. He added that more than once the students felt that even though he stood with them, indeed, he is in other, much higher worlds, for only his body is among us, but his soul hovers on high. His greatness in this matter was in the overall and unifying view. As in other matters that seem to contradict each other or do not belong to each other, and Rav Kook united them, so too in the matter of the occult. Some Jewish scholars saw Kabbalah and Halakha as two separate professions and sometimes found contradictions between the two sources from Halakha and Kabbalah, stating that no Halakhic ruling may be issued according to sources from the words of Kabbalah. However, Rav Kook's approach was in accordance with the tradition of the Vilna Gaon, that there could be no contradiction between sources from the revealed Torah and sources from the hidden Torah. And if a person finds a contradiction between them, it's a sign that he did not understand one of the two sources properly. In fact, his entire hugging attitude toward Jews who do not keep the commandments of the Torah and even deny it stems from the study of the secrets of the Torah. For although, according to many statements of the sages in the Talmud, in the revealed sources of the Torah, wicked Jews must be treated severely and hated, Rav Kook wrote in one of his letters that whoever gets to truly taste the secrets of the Torah knows that the approach should be one of drawing near, even towards those who are considered evil according to the revealed Torah. 
and in order not to contradict the various sources, one must carefully study all those statements of the sages that seemingly do not fit this approach and find in them the true interpretation and the precise deep intention of the sages. And many Torah scholars who deal only with the outer side of the Torah are very wrong about this. One of the greatest researchers of Rav Kook's teachings, Rav Moshe Tzuri Elzatzal, explained that Rav Kook intended to distinguish between thought and action. That is, in fact, in practice, a person must observe all the revealed laws established by the sages regarding the wicked. But these actions should not cause hatred in the heart, nor look at them with bad eye, but rather the attitude towards all the people of the world, including the utterly wicked, should be an attitude of kindness, pardon, abundance of benefits, and seeing everything with a good eye. And this, of course, also includes practical behavior, as it is told about Rav Kuk that on a day that was a public fast, in a hot day in the summer, two young men from a kibbutz came to the Rav's house, on foot, sweating after a long way they walked, and Rav Kuk said that they should immediately be given a drink because they apparently do not even know that it's a day of public fasting. This attitude of love and compassion does not contradict halacha, but those who are familiar only with the sources of the revealed Torah would probably refrain from offering drinks to a Jew on a day of public fasting. Rav Kook's greatness in Kabbalah also helped him to make halachic rulings on matters that have no halachic sources. For example, in the question he was asked in 1934, about an ultra-Orthodox Jew who died and was buried abroad, who in his life opposed Zionism and the new settlement developing in the land of Israel, and owned a Torah scroll. Whether it was appropriate to bring this Torah scroll to the land of Israel, which ostensibly contradicts that person's opinion. In his reply, Rav Kook wrote that there are several reasons why one should not be concerned that the person would object to bringing the Torah scroll to the land of Israel, but on the contrary, such an act would only benefit his soul. And among other things, he writes that the soul of that person will be very pleased because when a Torah scroll is brought from outside the land of Israel into the land, its holiness transcends due to the holiness of the land. And the books of Kabbalah state that anyone who has a connection to the land of Israel will merit that when there is a resurrection of the dead, he will be resurrected sooner. Therefore, it is certainly a merit for that person to connect between himself and the land of Israel through his Torah scroll that will immigrate to Israel. This is an answer that ordinary halachic authorities do not write because they are not familiar with the sources that deal with these issues. But Rav Kook used his vast knowledge of Kabbalah to decide this issue as well. Another example is a question about a wedding between spouses that do not have a halachic impediment to the relationship between them, but some feared that such a relationship might have bad luck, such as the marriage of two brothers with two sisters, or of a bride whose name is identical to the name of the groom's mother. In his answers to this question, he of course brings first the opinions of the poskim who addressed this and explains why according to halacha it is possible to be lenient, and also adds that on questions of this kind, there's a great room for leniency in the land of Israel more than abroad. And in this regard, he quotes from the Sefer HaZohar, that the land of Israel is not subject to the influence of foreign spiritual forces, 
but that everyone who lives there is under direct supervision of God. Therefore, there is no need to fear in the land of Israel all kinds of fears of bad luck originating from other spiritual forces. Rav Kook's greatness in the hidden Torah was not only in this, but on a completely different scale. Throughout the generations, among the sages of Israel, there were people who were known as key figures, pivotal people who influenced Kabbalah learners throughout the generations that followed, such as the Ramban, the Ramak, Ha'arizal, Ramchal. It can be said that Rav Kook was also of that magnitude, one of these key people who influenced not only his generation, but many generations after him. He understood that the topics that Kabbalah deals with are deep ideological and psychological issues dealing with the root of life and the foundations of mankind's culture, and that the people of the new generation who left religion did not do so because of rebellion against God, but because they too are people with depth of ideas who are looking for ways in which they can carry out their deep moral will and have not been able to find it in the Torah as it was taught in the study hall. And so he delved and researched and got to the root of the issues that occupy all the ideologies that exist in all movements today and found what their true root in the Torah is and knew about each of them what is the real point in it and what is just shells that need to be thrown away and analyzed as deeply as no one else has done private and general human psychology and wrote thousands of paragraphs about it. Everything Rav Kook wrote on these matters is based solely on the Torah and especially on sources in Kabbalah. And interestingly, even people who know fluent Hebrew have difficulty understanding his writings because the language he used is a special language that contains concepts and terms taken from the worlds of Kabbalah. Today, there are already scholars who have published a dictionary that explains the special terms that Rav Kook used in his writings. And there are entire books that explain how each sentence he wrote can be understood according to the Torah of Ha'arizal. It should be noted that he himself was careful not to reveal the secrets of the Torah improperly and wrote in a letter to his student, Dr. Binyamin Menashe Levin, in 1911, that he publishes certain ideas from the secrets of the Torah and dresses them as possible in literary form in order to enable profound and special people who have a strong mystical tendency to discover something of the greatness of the Torah of Israel and to understand that there is an incomparable depth in it. But he resisted popularizing these ideas because our sages had already warned Torah scholars not to reveal the secrets of the Torah to people who are unworthy. It is interesting to note that the editor of the three volumes of Orota Kodesh was Rav Kook's close and special student, Rav David Cohen, known as Rav Nazir, and his son, Rav Shari Yashuv Cohen, once visited the United States, and then he met with the Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneurson from Lubavitch. And at their meeting, the Rebbe asked about Rav Kook's writings, why he wrote in literary language and not in the accepted Kabbalistic terms that are the source of all his ideas. Rav Kook replied to the Rebbe that Rav Kook wrote this in Hebrew in order to bring together distant people who are not familiar with the language of the books of Kabbalah. Actually, Rav Kook himself, in a letter from 1907 to Rav Pinchas Akoen Lintop, explained that the deep ideas of the hidden Torah should be published in popular language, writing, 
Now the days are approaching for all to know that the salvation of Israel and the salvation of the entire world depends only on the appearance of the wisdom of the hidden light of the inner mystery of the Torah in a clear language. In other words, Rav Kook himself, understanding that the period was a period of significant historical turnaround, translated deep ideas found in the writings of the Kabbalists into Hebrew with the aim of spreading the light of this wisdom throughout the world while taking precautions to reveal things in an honorable manner so that unworthy people should not reach them. As is well known, among the Hasidim, it is said that the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, met the prophet Eliyahu and asked him, when will the master come? And the answer was, that is, when your deep ideas will be published in the world. As time passes, there are more people who research Rav Kook's writings, many more people study his books, and it becomes clear that he, through his writings, caused an unprecedented leap forward and was a very significant milestone in spreading the great light of the hidden Torah in contemporary generations, which is a key factor in the complete redemption of the nation of Israel and the entire world. In conclusion, I would like to say that these 12 podcasts are just like a drop in the ocean from Rav Kook's tremendous teachings. And for those who want to understand things more deeply, I suggest first hearing them again. When you hear for the second time, you always notice things you did not notice the first time. And this is especially true in such deep matters. After that, it is worthwhile to continue studying because there are endless topics and matters that Rav Kook dealt with and delved into, and I'm sure that everyone will be able to find what interests him or her. In addition, I would be very happy to hear and receive responses and comments by email dovkidron, D-O-V-K-I-D-R-O-N, at live, L-I-V-E dot com. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Orot Mizrach, The Remarkable Teachings of Rav Cook. New episodes are released every Sunday. You can subscribe and listen to Orot Mizrach on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to follow World Mizrahi on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at World Mizrahi. Thank you and have a great day.